Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. The poem I'm going to start off with today is called I Love the Look of Words, and it was written by Maya Angelou. I found it in the poetry collection Soul Looks Back in Wonder, which was edited and illustrated by Tom Feelings. Uh, Now, this is the part of the podcast where I usually give a little background about the writer of the poem, uh, but to be perfectly honest, I don't think I could possibly do an adequate job of trying to summarize Maya Angelou's life as and work as a writer, performer, civil rights activist, and, well, just being Maya Angelou. So instead, I would suggest, if for some reason you are not familiar with her, uh, to start with her official website, www.mayaangelou.com, and go from there. I Love the Look of Words by Maya Angelou Popcorn leaps, popping from the floor of a hot black skillet, and into my mouth. Black words leap, snapping from the white page, rushing into my eyes, sliding into my brain which gobbles them the way my tongue and teeth chomp the buttered popcorn. When I have stopped reading, ideas from the words stay stuck in my mind, like the sweet smell of butter perfuming my fingers long after the popcorn is finished. I love the book and the look of words and the weight of ideas that popped into my mind. I love the tracks of new thinking in my mind. Uh, my guest today is Michelle McAvoy, author of the picture books The Gorilla Picked Me and My, my Superhero Grandpa, as well as Cookie and Milk, which will be coming out this fall. You can find Michelle's website at www.michellemcavoy.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Michelle. Thank you for having me. I mentioned your one of your picture books, The Gorilla Pick Me, that just came out last year in 2018. Can you talk a little bit about what that one is about? Absolutely. So The Gorilla Picked Me is about a little girl named Olive who felt ordinary. And she was shy until one day she was picked from the crowd by a dancing gorilla at a dance um, at her school. And in that moment, the gorilla picked her up and swung her around. And in that moment, she felt elated and happy, and she knew that she was not um, ordinary, but in fact, special. Where did this idea come from for you? So that book is inspired by a true story, actually. Um, When I was a little girl, when I I was in Brownies, and I went to a dance at school with my father, and um, he said, Michelle, I have to step away for a second. And when he stepped away, um, a dancing, a, a person in a gorilla outfit came out. And back then it was in the 80s. So it wasn't a blue gorilla like in my book. It was uh, like a, you know, those fuzzy black gorilla costumes. And somebody came out and danced around and they picked me up and they swung me around. And I wasn't the type of little girl who would typically get picked from the crowd. I was a little bit chunky and I was shy and, um, but I was picked. And I just remember that feeling of being picked in that moment. And it stayed with me and, you know, through my adulthood, my father's now, my father passed away when I was 26. And it wasn't until later in my life after he had passed away when I thought, wow, could that have been my dad in the gorilla suit? So it's sort of his forever secret. I don't know. And I, my mom's never corroborated it. And I thought, wow, you know, this is um, a story that I think other 
children can relate to, you know, sort of, especially in today's society where it's so much social media and everything's about how many likes you're getting or how many Insta followers you have, um, you know, sort of that feeling for other children that probably that aren't all that outgoing. And I wrote and I decided to make a children's book, children's story. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Now, uh, you have a new book coming out this fall, uh, Cookie and Milk. Can you give us a little preview of what that's going to be? Yes, I'm so excited. So Cookie and Milk is coming out fall 2019 with Carnival Rule Press. And that is about two little girls who look nothing alike, who act nothing alike, but they are just true best friends. And that book is inspired by my relationship with my best friend, who is Ethiopian American, and also my brother, too. He and I are just complete opposites, but we're also best friends. So Cookie is a black girl that is a genius, and she builds things, and she's an engineer, and she thinks of all these great inventions. And Milk is a little white girl who you know, surfs and skydives and does all of the crazy things that, you know, on the inventions that Cookie creates. So they're truly like the yin and the yang of of friendship. And I'm always curious about picture books. How long does it take, uh, like this book is coming out this year, but uh, I don't think people realize just how long sometimes uh, a book like that takes to actually uh, put together in a final form. Yeah, I mean, I so... I guess in terms of when it gets sold to the publisher, how long does it take? Or just in terms of actually writing it? because And writing it too, yeah. Yeah. So um, so Cookie and Milk sold probably last year. So Cardinal Rule Press is a smaller independent press, and they have a quicker turnaround, I think, than maybe most um, larger presses, um, publishers. But um, so Cookie Milk sold last year, so it's about a year and a half until it will be released. And, of course, when it sold, it was, you know, fully, you know, it was a completed manuscript. There was additional edits that had to happen after the sale that I went through with my editor and made, and it just made the story that much better. And um, But, yeah, so it's a year and a half from sale to actual release. And then before that, you know, it's the writing process and the editing process and then um, my agent putting it out uh, on submission and hoping to get a publisher that's going to want to buy it. So, yeah, it takes it takes a lot of patience. You have also created your own podcast. I believe you started last year uh, called My Messy Muse. You can you talk a little bit about uh, your idea for the podcast and um, and where you see it going? Yes. So I have so much going on. It's so much fun. So my messy muse is, like you said, a podcast that I started probably in, I think, November 2018. So it's still very new. So I was developing sort of my brand and why I started to write. And and I started to write. I had mentioned that my father passed away when I was 26. And I started to write after my father passed is really sort of an outlet. And my first book, uh, My Superhero Grandpa, is about a grandfather in heaven. So really, I really sort of through that sadness and grief has inspired me to write these beautifully happy children's books. So my messy muse is just very much about, and and I have met other authors and writers that write beautiful children's books. And 
they write through, you know, difficult times. And there's also people that are struggling with mental illness. And there's people that are struggling with, you know, juggling jobs and kids. And, you know, so I thought, you know, everybody's life is messy and we're still just getting it done. Right. So um, that's how my messy muse came to be. It was really just a way to say, hey, let's just celebrate the messiness. Let's recognize that, you know, we all feel crazy sometimes because sometimes when you look on social media and it's always like, I love you to the moon and back and all this like happy, happy, happy stuff. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm crazy. I'm messy. And I just feel like, so it's a community and a podcast to say, we all got stuff going on and we're all here to sort of support each other and to just be and feel inspired by the messiness and allow it to inspire your creativity and embrace it, whatever it may be. For me, it was the the death of my father. For other people, I know that they've, um, like Rob Vlock was on my podcast and talked about writing through um, battling cancer and things like that. So, you know, everybody has stuff going on. Uh, speaking of the picture book community, I know you also offer uh, picture book critiquing and coaching calls. Uh, I wonder if you could explain a little bit uh, what those are and what you offer uh, with those. Absolutely. So um, I just I, I love picture book writing. Um, I've been doing it for a while now. So for the picture book critiques, um, I offer a critique of a manuscript and it's a full critique. It's, you know, you get it back from me and it's fully redlined with notes and suggestions and um, folks that have participated in that have found it very helpful. My background also, I'm not only a writer, I'm also an attorney. Um, so I have been writing and writing and writing for many, many, many years. And I really sort of go in and dissect um, what folks give me and they find it helpful. So that's the picture book critique. The coaching calls and the strategy sessions, I started doing that because I remember when I first started out in 2016, I had absolutely no clue about anything. I really I really didn't have a clue. And I wish that I could just like sit down and talk with somebody to be like, all right, tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I shouldn't be doing. Tell me where I should be focusing my energy and the like. So that's really what that coaching call is about. It's usually, it could be people at any point in their career, but oftentimes it's folks that are sort of either just starting out or maybe at a point where they just don't know which way to go. And we just have, a, we have a talk and I sort of help try to help um, strategize and try to help show them what, what I would suggest would be what to focus on. And sometimes it's things like, do I need an agent? How do I query an agent? Or sometimes it's, you know, things like how do I find a publisher? I mean, there's just so many questions, as you know, there's so many nuances. So the, the strategy calls are and the coaching calls are really to help navigate through that. Because it can be a little bit overwhelming at times. Oh, gosh. Yeah, especially when you're starting out. I just, it's always like, there's just so much that you need to learn besides for learning to like sort of hone your craft. Now, I understand you also do uh, school and Skype visits, and I'm wondering what would uh, what could somebody expect in in those sort of presentations that you give. So I do. I try to do a in person school visit once a month, um, and then for Skypes, I sort of scatter them throughout the year. 
Um, typically the Skype visits, what I like to do is sort of the shorter Skype visits. They're sort of like a 15 minute Q&A. And I've done these oftentimes, you know, even with lower grades and even with the upper grades, like fourth and fifth graders. And it's just a really good opportunity for students to take a break from their usual, the usual grind at school and you know, they read my book ahead of time and then they can ask me anything. They can ask me about the process. They can ask me about the story. It's really just a conversation and it helps to just inspire them to write, to, to read and to be creative. A lot of them just also like to illustrate. So that's what the Skype, the Skype visits are typically about 15 minutes or so or a little bit longer. Um, and we usually try to do a Q&A. The school visits are a lot longer. Those are, I usually do about two 45-minute sessions, and it's a larger presentation. And I like to talk about inspiration with the, with the kids. I like to show them what how I was, what inspired me to write my various stories and to show them that, you know, inspiration is all around them and that they're very unique and they have very special stories to write um, and to give out to the world as well. So during those presentations, um, we talk about inspiration. We do some crafts with the lower grades. We do a fun activity, a writing prompt, and then a crazy fun activity at the end of that with the older uh, students. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it's nice to see and to interact with, with the kids. The book you picked uh, as one of your favorite kids' books is the classic novel uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by Judy Bloom. And uh, for – I imagine a, a, lot of re- a lot of readers have uh, would have read this by now. But for those who haven't gotten around to reading it as of yet, can you talk a little bit about what it's about? Yes. So Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. So that book, I read that as a kid and it just really stands out to me. It was like a big deal back then as it it talked about a lot of issues surrounding puberty for young girls, right? So it talks about getting your period. It talks about, you know, um, who's wearing a bra, who's not wearing a bra. It talks about, you know, your first crush and sort of how she deals with that. And then it also, a component is um, talking about, you know, the main character is trying to decide what religion she wants to belong to. So there's so many um, different, very different, important things going on in that book for an adolescent girl, but it's just so much fun, too. At the same time, it's not just so heavy and, like, it, it's not really pushy. Now, uh, the main character, Margaret, um, you know, she, she, throughout this novel, she sometimes doesn't always make the best choices or quite see people for what they are, and yet she's still a very uh, appealing and relatable character. What makes her so, despite her flaws, uh, so um, uh, relatable in that way? You know, I, I feel like, you know, Margaret cares about everybody, and I feel like she's just a quintessential little girl. I mean, we don't get it right when we're young. We don't even get it right when we're older, right? We don't get everything right, but she, she's caring and even though she may show jealousy once in a while, it it doesn't come from a mean place. I don't think she ever, she doesn't have a mean streak, if you will. And, you know, Margaret's struggling with things internally, you know, um, her family moved, whether or not she's, you know, what religion she's going to be. So I just feel like 
she's the ordinary person. Everybody's imperfect. Um, and I guess that's what sort of makes her endearing. And what is it that, because uh, this is a, such a, a, a well-known book, an important book for a lot of people, what is it that Judy Bloom gets right about growing up at a girl at this particular age? You know, when I re- – so I read this when I was – you know, really young, and I probably reread it probably about a year ago. And as a as an author now, I was thinking, wow, like she just gets the voice of the character. It's just so good. It's just it's her. She's in the age. She's in the moment. She's not preaching anything, and she's not ever coming at the reader from an, an adult perspective like it's literally from the kid's perspective and from that age consistently throughout the book and I think that it's and I, I imagine that's probably what made me love it and remember it even as a child because it, it was just so on the right level and like I said talks about so many different things. And I never realized how many different things she actually touches upon until I reread it. And I thought, wow, there's a lot going on here. And, you know, just touches upon so many different things that affect a young girl through that time. And sort of a lot of that physical stuff and the boy crush thing, um, which is a big deal for girls at that at, in that age. Uh, the the title of the book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, is actually a, a phrase that Margaret uses over and over in, in the book uh, when she's talking to God directly about all the things that are going on, the worries she has, the problems she's going through. What, what do you think uh, that uh, Judy Bloom decided to frame the story that instead of just sort of telling the story, to kind of frame it that way to have Margaret talk about things in that particular, using that phrase over and over again and talk about things that way? Hmm, that's a great question. You know, I think it, it just gets us to that intimate place with Margaret, right? So, you know, when you're sitting alone and you're talking to God, that's a moment where you're sort of stripped bare. And I think maybe in those moments when Margaret is, you know, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. First of all, it's that question, like, are you there? Like, almost we're always hoping that they are there, that they are listening. So that's sort of that question to even ask first, are you there? And I think it just allows the reader to be pulled into her most intimate moments, really, and her quietest moments. So I think it's fabulous. As you mentioned, this there's a lot of things going on in this book, and there's actually a, a lot. Apart from Margaret, there are just a, a lot of uh, characters in this book. Um, I know for me, when I reread the book, uh, one character, a minor character, kind of stood out for me is uh, Laura Danker. Uh, is this is this girl who develops early, and uh, she's the subject of rumors, and even Margaret buys into them until she you know, gets, has sort of a confrontation with Laura and learns that they're basically has been lied about all this time. Time. And it just kind of really struck me, you know, this book that was written so long ago, how, you know, very, very timely, it seems, unfortunately. Um, and I'm just wondering if there were uh, other, apart from Margaret, just uh, characters that really um, stood out for you as well. Yeah. And, you know, and it's so great that you mentioned that, too, because like with bullying, you just reading this book that was so long ago, and it's just, you know, problems change you know, the bullying may be a little bit different, but it existed even back then, right? Um, 
I think the other, when I thought about this, I think the other um, character that stood out to me was the grandma. I just remember her grandma just being, first of all, a, a breath of fresh air for Margaret, um, but she's also very colorful. And while her grandmother so wanted Margaret to, to, I think it was Jewish, to be her religion, she was just respectful of her always. And um, I just love also the dynamic and the relationship between Margaret and her grandmother. I was very close to my grandma. Um, and I think it's fabulous that Judy Bloom shows sort of the generational uh, the different generations and the different relationships, you know, she, Margaret has her relationships with her friends. Obviously, she has a relationship with her parents. And then she has this very special relationship with her grandma. Now, you touched on this a little bit that Judy Bloom, you know, she deals with a lot of potentially tricky subjects, uh, religion, uh, changes that come about with puberty. But she does it in a way it's it's not didactic. It's uh, it's a very entertaining. It's an actually very funny book as well. So how does she manage to do this to touch on these subjects, but in a way that is, is very um, appealing and entertaining? And what could other writers learn from how what Judy Bloom does? Wow. She's, <laughs> I mean, if we can only all write like Judy Bloom, right? I mean, I think, what can people learn? I think it's just a matter of, I think she just got into the minds of the young characters. And I think that when we write for young kids and for children and for um, middle grade, we have to, you know, we're adults writing. We have to just get into you know, how would they be feeling? Um, what would, you know, what would entertain them, right? What would make them laugh too, right? And then, but just, I feel like she presented the issues and the characters in a, what do I want to say, in sort of a very natural way. Like, like you said, it wasn't didactic, but it wasn't all, the characters aren't forced on you and the situations aren't forced on you. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like Judy Bloom has a very unique way of presenting through the eyes of a, of a child um, to make it just and, and the book is interesting. Like you just turn the pages and you keep going. And um, I don't know. She really had a knack. I think we all need to sort of go back and reread um, her. I know my kids are still reading her in school. So Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing was, you know, the first book my son read this year. So she's still very relevant. It's interesting. The last book I, I podcasted about was Watership Down, which is a very different book from this one. But what it has in common uh, with uh, this book is that both books at some point and maybe in some places still uh, were banned books. And what would you say to those who would say this is an inappropriate book for young readers in particular? Wow. It's so funny to think about that because I feel like as a society, we've come we've moved the needle so far from what would be considered banned. I feel like, you know, Judy Bloom is, is so is vanilla probably compared to the things that are written now in, in middle grade. You know, I, I think for any book that has that much, those topics that people would consider to be bannable means that it's probably important, right? I mean, Stuff happens in life, and children are going to have to know about it. Certainly, I don't think 
any books should be banned. I mean, I think parents need to be gatekeepers and teachers and, and such need to be, to a degree, gatekeepers But at when the children are younger. But at some point, kids are just going to pick up books and they're going to read what they want to read. And yeah, I mean, so I think to the extent, obviously, I don't think any books should be banned. And if and I think that parents and teachers need to, you know, know what the children are reading and also present books that are going to challenge them a little bit. And it's hard to say that I'm a parent and I know I very much want to protect my kids. I'm sort of that that parent that, you know, I don't want them to know about the bad stuff. I want them to, I love for them to live in a bubble for as long as they can and protect them and make them think everything is rosy and fine. But I think to an extent, at some point, I have to allow them to explore you know, maybe some of the more um, heavy issues and kids can get that in a book um, and it can really sort of spark conversations that need to happen. Right. So if a little girl is curious about, you know, um, getting her period or curious about not being as developed as maybe some of the other girls in school, you know, these books help that conversation, you know, help kids to sort of think about it. And then they can think about whether or not they want to talk about it. So I think, you know, quote unquote, banned books with big issues are (laughs) important. Now, next year, uh, we're actually going to be coming up on the 50th anniversary of this book. And it's interesting. You mentioned mentioned your your children started to read this book and it's still a published book. Uh, And I think you mentioned, too, it's still a relevant book. So why is it still, even after all this time, why is it still relevant and important? And and still a book that kids want to read. Well, I, I think, you know, even though we're very different from maybe the generation, children's kids generation now, we all are still very similar. I think that, you know, as much as things change, things really don't change. So, you know, the issues that Judy Bloom wrote about 50 years ago, I mean, it's still happening, right? And I think if you write a good book and you do it in a way that's so approachable and it's also approachable for um, parents, I think, you know, this book to me is not a book that I would be afraid for my daughter to read. So I don't I I think that's probably why. And I, I also and there's probably a part of it, too, is that she just has so many little fans that are now grown up <laughs> and 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 still supporting her like myself, um, you know, fans that she got when they were younger and reading her and, and now still enjoy reading her. And we'll pass that along. Uh, Michelle, uh, thank you so much for picking this book. Give me a chance to reread it. And thank you for taking the time today to talk to me about it. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. You can find Michelle's website at www.michellemacavoy.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in a Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time... 
Keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. 